Thank you, Father, for everything that's already happened this morning. We're so grateful that we get to minister to your heart through worship. We're so grateful to get to hear your word right now. Thank you. That's going to impact us in a great way. Amen. Okay, so this series, Light the Path, this is week three. It's really just the second message. Uh, there was a message that came out last Sunday. I, I hope if you listen, uh, we put a little podcast out. I had to listen to the whole, ser- the whole service to even see if there was a message in there. Uh, it was an awesome service. We worshiped for so long, but as I was listening to everything that happened, um, at one point the Holy Spirit spoke to me about uh, leaving bitterness behind and moving forward in forgiveness uh, w- without being held down by that. And, you know, we put that out in our podcast this week, and I've actually heard several people get back with me and say that really ministered to them. They needed to hear it. So if that was you last week, you know, sometimes we can worship for an hour and a half and hear a four- or five-minute word from God that changes our life. So be listening out. Pay attention. You know, pray, but the Bible also says watch and pray. So sometimes you got to, in the middle of the praying, in the middle of the seeking and the worship, also listen to what the Lord is saying. It might be through somebody sitting beside you or through somebody like me with a microphone. But if you just hear one word from God and apply it to your life, it can change your whole life. So today's a little bit different. I have a whole message to share. I think I might get through half of it and maybe we'll do the other half next week. This is uh, the series. Every message is going to be based on one scripture. And of course, for for week one, it was James 3.16, where there's envy and strife, there's confusion and every evil work. So here's the review. If you're a Christian and confusion is a regular part of your life. If you're a Christian and uh, um, uh, confusion is, uh, strife is a, is a part of what, what, confusion, every evil work. If evil works are a part of your life, meaning sickness, that's something the devil is the author of. John 10.10 10 says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So if you're losing things in your life, if you're seeing destruction in your life, if you if you're, if feel like you're, you're getting beat up and, and, and sick, then here's what you can trace it back to as a believer. You are allowing envy or strife in your life. If you cut out the envy, if you cut out the strife, man, the promises of God put this like bubble around you. And the Bible says you have the mind of Christ and confusion can't exist inside of your mind. He'll speak to you. He's not withholding information. Uh, You have promises that say by his stripes you are healed and sickness will have no authority over you if you get rid of that envy and strife. We allow things into our life and it starts with letting envy and strife in. So that was two weeks ago. This week, our verse that we're going to focus on uh, is Isaiah 26.3. And we're going to focus on it by reading an entire passage of Scripture from Philippians 4, right? So let me, let me read Isaiah 26, 3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. So light the path. It's called light the path because the Bible says in Psalm 119, 105, that his word is a lamp to our feet and light to our path. When that was written by David, a lamp to their feet, to his feet, was not one of those bright spotlights that lights up a whole path. It lights up one step. And where we would like to see an entire walkway lit up, we'd like to see all the way from point A to point B. Sometimes his word is enough to light up our next step. And if you can see your next step, you won't stumble. So these words, these messages, are going to be one verse that you can apply to your life, light up your next step, and see instant progress in your walk with the Lord. So today we're talking about peace. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. This is a life verse for me and Lisa, something we try to live by and remember all the time. And there's so much right here 
in this sentence. Let's just break it down before we go to Philippians 4. You'll keep him in perfect peace. How many would love to be in perfect peace? Just go ahead and raise your hand. In a world where it seems like peace is less and less to be found, I mean, what country is not on the brink of war, according to the news, right? What virus is still locked up in some frozen test tube and not running rampant across the face of the earth, according to the news, right? There's spy balloons in the sky. I mean, like, this is an odd time to be alive. The weirdest part about these spy balloons is that somehow the general public knows about every one of them, right? It's a very weird time to be alive. There is a lot of things out there trying to steal your peace. However, one thing that doesn't change, world powers change, uh, economics change, job situations change, our faces change. I'm about to turn 40 and I'm realizing faces change, right? Things change all the time. But here's this something up here on the screen that doesn't change at all. It's called the Word of God. And John chapter 1 verse 1 says it was existing before time began. Jesus was the Word. He still is. So this Word was true when it was written, true before it was written, and it's true right now. Somehow, in this current world, perfect peace is available. It has to go back to God because he will keep him in perfect peace. Thou, God, will keep him in perfect peace. How? Tell me how, God. He does not withhold information from you. How, God, whose mind is stayed on thee? Okay? That's a little bit of something we have to do on our own. My mind gets distracted every time this goes ding. My mind says, ooh, what's that about? Oh, another spy balloon. Huh. And it's in Myrtle Beach? I mean, come on. Like, that's where it got shut down. That's pretty close to home. Okay. Maybe I need a little alert from this. Remember, even when there's spy balloons, you can have perfect peace if your mind is stayed on thee. Well, how does that even work? He's not withholding information because he trusteth in thee. As your mind stays on the Lord, you'll remember all the things he's brought you through. You'll remember the testimony of every, every believer, which starts right here on Genesis 1.1. The testimony of the children of Israel, that belongs to you. The testimony of David, that belongs to you. The testimony of the Apostle Paul and, and Peter and James and John, that belongs to you. That's your heritage. That's your inheritance. We have a God that says, I don't, I'm not a respecter of persons. I already spoke this over these young kids. If he did it for one person, he'll do it for you. The Apostle Paul doesn't have anything, didn't have anything on the inside of him that you don't have on the inside of you. Isn't that crazy to think? Peter, James, John, Thomas, Bartholomew, these disciples, they had nothing on the inside of them that you don't have on the inside of you. And as your mind stays on God, as you keep your mind fixed on him, Instead of everything else trying to distract you, trying to steal your joy, trying to steal your peace, you'll begin to trust in him more and more. And let's rewind to the beginning of the verse. You will be in perfect peace, kept that way by God and his word himself. Isn't that awesome? How many believers are in this room? Just raise your hand. Let's be interactive. 
How many believe in Jesus? How many have confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that he's the son of God, that he's risen from the dead, that he went to the grave for three days, but he came out of the grave, that he took your sickness to that grave and he left it there. He took your sins to that grave and he left it there, that he became poor so that you may become rich. He ascended to heaven and he said the same authority I have, you have right now. So go heal the sick. Cast out demons, spread the gospel, tell people the good news. How many believe that? How many believe that? That means this is for you. You have perfect peace available to you. How many times this week have you abandoned that perfect peace that is available to you every second of every day? I am the first to admit, and I'll say it loud in the microphone, I have abandoned that perfect peace at times over this past week. But what does that mean? It means up here, my mind wandered to something other than who I am in Christ, who the Father is on the throne, what his word says. Thank God for Paul, who was also a very vulnerable teacher. He did not ever hold back from saying how he was working through things, explaining how this is what happens when I walk in the flesh in Romans chapter 7? And then saying, well, this is what happens, though, when I'm walking by the Spirit in Romans chapter 8. Right? Paul showed us over and over how to apply the word to your life as he wrote Scripture, which is awesome. Right? So we're going to go to a Scripture that Paul wrote, and he is going to teach us this morning eight ways. I bet you we'll get through like four of them. Eight ways just in Philippians chapter 4 alone to keep your mind stayed on God. Here's the backstory, and I've said this backstory just recently in the past few months. So if you don't remember, here's the backstory. Paul wrote the book of Philippians from a prison. Not a nice one either. It was uh, most likely like every other prison back then. Dirty, dark, I mean, electricity had not been discovered yet. So we're talking like slimy, dirty, cold, hot. I don't know what the temperature was like. It surely wasn't pleasant. Probably smelly nasty and he grabs something and he starts to write a letter to the church called in Philippi and this is chapter 4 and just like Isaiah 26 3 is a life verse for Lisa and myself I got to tell you we've probably between the two of us read Philippians chapter 4 more than any other chapter in the Bible right so remember this is about staying in peace which the word says you do that by keeping your mind on God, on his word, and then you'll build up your trust in him. So I'm going to read some text, then I'm going to tell you the point that Paul is making in this text, one of the points, and we're going to be able to apply this to our life and see a difference in how we respond to fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety don't rise up from the inside of a believer. You don't have fear and anxiety on the inside of you. Fear and anxiety are an outside attack on the believer. And James 4, 7 says that when you submit to God, resist the devil. So what does he bring? Fear and anxiety. He will flee from you. I think this has been said at least five or six times over the past year. Let's make it seven or eight. Stop saying my anxiety. Stop claiming that stuff. Stop saying my fears. Stop claiming that stuff. You are directly opposing the word of God when you say that junk. You don't have fears or anxieties on the inside of you. What do you mean? I do. Well, then 
You're not reading the Bible because Paul said you don't have a spirit of fear. you got a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. On the inside of you, you have power, love, and a sound mind. On the outside of you, fear and anxiety come against that. And you have to resist it to keep that power, love, and sound mind in operation. You resist it from the out. You're on the inside. You resist that outside attack of fear and anxiety. Stop declaring the word of the devil and saying, my anxiety. Stop coming into agreement. This is a harsh phrase. Stop coming into agreement with Satan and saying, my fears. Agree with the Lord and say, my power, my love, and my sound mind are resisting this anxiety right now. I'm not going to let you in. My power. Don't even. Somebody's going to get religious and be like, well, it's the power of God in me. It's, it's his story, not history. It's his story. Don't get all religious. It belongs to you. My power is resisting that anxiety. My sound mind that belongs to me because of Jesus is resisting this anxiety. The love on the inside of me, my love is resisting this fear and anxiety. From the belly of a prison, Paul was living that. And in Philippians, he, we call it chapter 4. It was just a portion of his letter. He didn't number the chapters. We do. And uh, here's how he starts off this train of thought. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Now I appeal to Udia, I guess that's her name, and Sin. Something, Sintich, that's her other name. That's another lady. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers who name, whose names are written in the book of life. So there's a disagreement among two ladies, both a part of this church. And Paul takes the time to say, please work this disagreement out. Remember two weeks ago, where there's envy and strife, there's confusion and every evil work. Uh, strife is not just a disagreement. If you look up the word strife, it says an angry or bitter disagreement. So this wasn't just a disagreement. This was causing anger. This was causing strife. And Paul says, listen, work it out. And he said, and if you can't work it out amongst yourself, he appeals to whoever would be receiving this letter and says, please help them. Because it's worth working stuff out. Why? To keep your mind stayed on the Lord. If you're not thinking about who did you wrong or who said what, you have plenty of room to keep your mind stayed on God. So point one, keep your mind on God and stay in peace through cutting out strife and resolving differences. It's worth a conversation. Some of you would describe yourself as non-confrontational. Again, stop coming into agreement with that junk that's not the word. Jesus, who lives on the inside of you, was a lot of things. One of the things he was not is non-confrontational. Jesus was confrontational. Do you remember a story about him turning over tables, right? That's one of many stories of Jesus confronting. I read this morning in my personal time with the Lord where he looks at his best friend, Peter, and says, get behind me, Satan. Have you looked at a friend recently? And said, get behind me, Satan. Lisa said, only you to me. Amen. Jesus was a lot of things. 
He was not non-confrontational. Can you be non-confrontational and still, can you be confrontational and still operate in love? Well, absolutely. Jesus was perfect love incarnate. Confrontation does not equal uh, whatever sometimes we think. You, you have to confront something in order to overcome it. Sometimes there's uncomfortable moments, confrontations, conversations that need to happen. But discomfort leads to beautiful things. You know, Austin and Will and, and Paul were all three up here playing music on guitars. You know, the strings, it's the tension on those strings that causes them to be able to make notes and to make music. Tension leads to beautiful things. When you allow the Holy Spirit to be a part of your life, he might lead you into some uncomfortable conversations. But it's going to lead to beautiful relationships. I'm looking around the room right now, and the people in here that I'm closest to, let me tell you, it hasn't just all been butterflies and roses through our relationships. We've had to have some hard conversations, but the people that I've had hard conversations with in this room right now are the people I trust the most, that I would call if I was in the middle of an emergency, that I know have my back and I have theirs. Jesus was actually confrontational when something needed to be confronted. When you work through it and the strife is over, more room to keep your mind stayed on God and stay in perfect peace. That's lesson one, and I believe it impacted somebody in here. It was similar to what we talked about last week, letting go of bitterness, letting go of unforgiveness, right? Talk to people. It's worth it. Work through it. If you're a believer and the person you're going to talk to is a believer, remember, there's not just the two of you talking. Both of you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. He'll lead to a resolution. And you know there's instruction in here. If it can't be reached between the two of you, man, come talk to me. Come talk to Lisa. Grab one of these folks that have been uh, believers for 30, 40, 50 years of their life and say, hey, we need some help working this out. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. So number one, keep your mind on God and stay in peace through cutting out strife and resolving differences. Let's all say this together, resolving differences. Resolving differences. You can do it. You can do it. Back to our text. This is a good one. Here's how he follows that up. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Let's put a stop right there. Here in the New Living, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. We talked about this quite a bit during our last series, so I'm not going to stay a long time on it. But rejoice, that word means to take delight in, find satisfaction in. And then my favorite part of that definition, give joy back. What does that mean? What does that mean? Joy is one of the, one of the fruits of the Spirit. On the inside of every believer, you already have joy. God has given you the gift of joy on the inside. When you give joy back to the Lord, how do we do that? Through celebrating him, through thanking him, through worship. God finds pleasure in that. It gives joy to him. And somehow, as we give joy to him, we, that joy on the inside of us begins to bubble up. And we begin to rejoice, take delight in him, find satisfaction in him. And we can keep our mind stayed on God and stayed in perfect peace by choosing joy. That's number two. Keep your mind stayed on God and stay in perfect peace 
by choosing joy. I have a very practical example I found this week of this, and I am so glad I stumbled across this study. I don't know what university did it, but in 2014, in 2014 a university did a study where they took hundreds and hundreds of people and they put them in these two separate rooms and they told them the same thing in both rooms. They said, uh, you can leave right now and we'll give you like $100. Or you can leave here. In, well, well, I'm sorry. They said, when you leave here, we'll give you $100 for doing this study with us. Or when you leave here, instead of us giving you $100 now, we'll send you $200 in a few weeks. After they gave that instruction, so here's the instruction. You can leave and get $100, leave without the $100, and we'll send you $200 in a few weeks. So before they could leave, though, the one group of people had to sit down and write for the next 15 to 20 minutes on things they were grateful for, things they were thankful for. The other group had another task that did not involve being thankful or thinking about gratitude at all. And when the study was done, the people that spent that time writing about gratitude and what they were grateful for at a huge, much larger percentage said, you know what, I'll leave now and just get the $200 in a few weeks. And the other group that did not take the time to express their gratitude almost all said, yeah, just give me the 100 bucks. I'm, I'm going to get out of here. Gratitude and thankfulness, rejoicing, even if they weren't rejoicing in the Lord, they were focusing on what they were grateful for, caused them to make a better financial decision. It caused them to, 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 to think through this situation and say, you know what, $200 in a few weeks is better than $100 right now. When you rejoice in the Lord, do you know what it does? One of the things it does as you become grateful for what you have, it causes that, that lustfulness that's inside of our flesh that says, ooh, I need this, but you don't really need it. I want this, but you can't really afford it. I'm going to go do this. And, and, and our flesh screams, credit cards are great, and debt is okay, and who cares about interest, right? That's what our flesh screams. But when we focus on what God has done for us and gratitude, there's a scientific study that says we're more likely to stay in peace by not making bad financial decisions. Gratitude, rejoicing, choosing joy in every moment causes you to keep your mind on God instead of anything else. Staying in peace by choosing joy. That's a powerful lesson. Back to our text and point or lesson number three. This is another one-liner. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. We're going to get back to remember the Lord is coming soon. But right now, here we go. Let everyone see that you're considerate in all you do. Sometimes you have to on purpose decide to be considerate. I remember when I was seven or eight years old and my mom, I, th I think I was freaking out about something. I was getting ready for school and worried about my hair or, or maybe worried about a pimple or something like that. And my mom looks at me and she goes, son, the world doesn't revolve around you. And she said that plenty of times, but she decided to explain herself. She said, nobody is looking at you thinking, let's find all of BJ's pimples and let's count them and let's make fun of him later for having pimples. No one's looking at your hair and saying, man, he doesn't fix his hair. Cool. You're the only person that sees that. She said, the world doesn't revolve around you. For whatever reason, in that moment, it opened my eyes to realize there is a world around me, and most people think they're the center of the world, and they're not concerned about me whatsoever. 
it opened up my eyes to something bigger around me. And, and, and with that same kind of attitude here, Paul says, be considerate. In other words, realize it's not all about you. When you're walking down the street, it's not just about getting from point A to point B. As a believer, man, what's between point A and point B that the Lord is leading you to? Who needs you to just look at them and tell them Jesus loves them? Who could use a, a helping hand? Who could use some groceries? Who could use this or that? But be considerate in all you do. And as you consider others, as you consider others, you will find your mind staying on the Lord and in perfect peace more than you will ever find it in perfect peace staying on yourself. Because when my mind is on myself, what do I see but the things I need to get right, the weight I need to lose, the different uh, clothes I need to have, the things I'm lacking is what I see the more and more I look at myself in the flesh. But as I become considerate of others, those things start to fade away more and more, and I become more aware of what the Lord is saying. So I'm going to give you an example of this here. And then point three, just if you're writing them down or if you want to hear it very plainly, point three or lesson three, keep your mind on God and stay in perfect peace by being thoughtful and considerate. Another really eye-opening moment for me uh, was years ago. It wasn't my first trip to Mexico with ambassadors to the nations, but it was maybe the first time we took a group of teenagers. I don't know. Man, when you're younger and you just got all this energy and big dreams and somebody says, hey, you should take 30 teenagers to Mexico. You say, yeah, we should take 30 teenagers to Mexico. It doesn't even matter that our baby is four months old. We'll take her too. So 15 years ago, we loaded up our four-month-old kid and 24 teenagers from church uh, and, and jumped in a van, yes, a van, and drove from Charlotte, North Carolina, with FCC Charlotte and a group of their teenagers. Actually, Holly might have been on this trip. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Serena might have been on that trip. Some of you might have been on this trip with us. But we went to Mexico on a mission trip, I think. And back then, it wasn't like four or five days. I think we were there for like 12 days or something. And uh, we went, and it was awesome. It was powerful. There was a moment where we were on this hill, it was a hill, and uh, we, we, we went uh, through Del Rio, Texas. So a lot of times we cross the border and sleep in Del Rio and then cross the border the next day to get back into Mexico and work with our pastors there and our churches and feeding programs there. So we were there one day in Mexico across the border from Del Rio, Texas, and we're on this hill in a literal cardboard village. Like I've said that already today. Um, if, you don't, if you don't get a picture of what I'm saying, I mean, that's what I, I mean what I'm saying. It's literally just a neighborhood as far as you can see, made of cardboard. When it rains, it all washes away, and you have to find new cardboard and rebuild. I mean, I mean that when I say cardboard village. Sometimes they'll put five or six little places they can live, um, in, you know, surrounding like a little kitchen area where they can, you know, a grill where people cook together, but then they have these little shacks. It's a very, very poor area of Acuna, Mexico, and we were going door to door, giving out beans and rice and gifts and it was actually cold that day, so blankets and, and all kinds of things and ministering to people, uh, doing a service there in the street and praying for people. Man, we saw sick people healed. We saw cancer just completely fall off of a man's face. He had a tumor on his face, the size of his face. The next day after our kids prayed for him, it was completely gone. It was powerful, powerful. But we're on this hill in Mexico, and as far as you can see, it's just cardboard, just shacks and shacks and the most poverty you've ever seen in your life. Well, the sun started to go down, and I turned around, 
and I saw Del Rio, Texas, and I saw a Chili sign, and I saw a Walmart sign, and you could see the traffic stopping in order at the stoplight. And then when the light turned green, you could see the cars driving in a perfect line down the street. And you saw this city behind you lit up with electricity, power, organization. You could see people lined up to, to go into Chili's and eat. You could see the Motel 6 with people in the swimming pool. And then you turn around and you just see the most poverty you've ever seen in your life. And that was some perspective. And I left that moment changed. I left that moment changed from the inside out. And I'll tell you, one thing it's caused me to be is more considerate in everything I do. More considerate in every thought I have. When I feel like I have it bad here in the U.S. for any reason whatsoever. I remember standing on that little hill in Acuna, Mexico. And I remember what I saw behind me and what I saw in front of me. And I think, man, I'm so blessed. And, and it makes me want to give. And it makes me want to take care of people a little bit more. It makes me care and, uh, and, and be more considerate in everything I do. And it keeps a lot of junk out of your mind when you have perspective like that. So if you never get to go see it for yourself, man, try to get a picture of the way I just described it. And, man, it will cause you to be grateful. It will cause you to be considerate, which means attentive, thoughtful, concerned, or helpful. This world is bigger than the little stuff that revolves around us. Our biggest problems we have are most likely problems that there's somebody else in this world that's just praying. I wish, I wish my problems were just that. I wish my problems, you know, were, were, were just fill in the blank. But be considerate. And Paul says this is a big deal. Because as you're considerate, keep your mind on God. Stay in perfect peace. And this will be the last one we talk about today. Back to our text. Another one-liner in a second or next week, we'll get to some of the bigger chunks of Philippians 4. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. And what can we get from that one line that causes us to keep our mind on God? Well, first of all, the first word there, remember. Sometimes we got to remember other things than what our mind is telling us to remember. Forget the way the inside of your refrigerator looks. Forget the mess in the front yard. Forget the mess in the living room for a few minutes. Forget what have, what, what's waiting for you at work tomorrow, right? Forget the issues that you're going through with friends and family. Forget the argument that you're in the middle of with somebody Forget all that for a second at least and remember the Lord is coming soon. In other words, if you're still breathing, it's not over. If you're still breathing, there's still more to come. There's more to come in your own life. There's more to come. God is not done with you. Who started a good work will be faithful to complete a good work. When you remember the Lord is coming soon, it's a good reminder. Wait a second. I might be in the middle of a mess, but it's not over. It's not over. It's never over if you're still alive and breathing. So here's lesson four. Keep your mind on God and stay in peace through reminding yourself that he's not finished if you're still breathing.